compassion, wisdom, and strength. So you said yesterday that the human realm is, is um, doubt and is the hindrance is doubt and desire. Doubt and, and desire, yeah. And it says in the text, I think that 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 is the only realm that's possible to awaken from. Yes. And why is is it the only realm that it's possible to awaken from? And should we aspire to to the exist in the human realm of doubt and desire in order as a springboard to awakening? Well, that's a good question. First of all, for those that weren't here last night, the, from a Buddhist point of view, there are six realms. The God realms, where which is like where you live most of the time here as a as a Westerner, you got pretty much everything you want. Then the jealous God realms, which is where you also exist most of the time as a Westerner, because you got as much as you want, but you always want more. And then the human realm, which is the doubt and desire realm, um, which curiously enough we spend most of our time in, but we take the least notice of on a day-to-day basis. And then you have the animal realm, that was the realm driven by your instincts, your, your sensual appetites or your instinctual reactions, your fight or your flight or your uh, eat or be eaten, um, sexual drives, things like that, instinctual realms. And sometimes we know our instinctual realms can get us into big trouble, right? Uh, at least in other parts of our life. And then the hungry ghost realm, which is the realm of unfulfilled needs whose time has passed. And that goes back to childhood, unfulfilled childhood um, desires or needs, I guess. Uh, the hungry ghost realm. And then the hell realm, which is the realms of anger and hatred and, and uh, intense ill will. And so these six realms, well, the thing is, is that if you're in any realm other than the human realm, it's hard to get your attention. You can't awaken from the hell realm because you're busy being angry. <laughs> you can't awaken from the God realm because you're too busy stuffing your face with all the little goodies or equivalent of stuffing your face. You can't awaken from the instinctual realm because, you're, because your instincts uh, uh, are driving you to see nothing other than that. And the hungry ghost realm, you're too busy feeling sorry for yourself or upset that mommy didn't love you or that your girlfriend or your boyfriend isn't treating you right, um, that you and your spouse aren't getting along so well. You know, you're so busy with that fight that that the awakening isn't possible in, in that moment. And so that really leaves the human realm. And in the human realm, you you have a kind of a space that you don't have in the other six realms. And uh, the nature of that space that exists in a human realm that doesn't really exist in those other realms is there's a kind of awareness of what's going on. So when you're busily stuffing your face, it's hard for you to see that you're busily stuffing your face, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And when you're angry, it's really hard to see that you're currently in a hell realm. You don't go, oh, this is the hell realm. I am being incredibly angry, and I'm having a temper tantrum, and okay, now I'll wake up from that. But if you did manage to do that, you would no longer be in the hell realm, right? You would have already moved into the human realm. Or if you managed to go like this this conspicuous consumption, you know, more like 600 pairs of shoes, like Imelda, Imelda Marcos, you know, you kind of go, at some point you got to go, I just saw on TV uh, this afternoon or yesterday that the biggest house in North America, uh, private home, uh, is up for sale, some Hollywood movie producer, has over a hundred rooms. 
You know, it's like, what's the need for that? You know, you know he's got that many friends. Uh, probably not. So, it's it's like, what is the need for that kind of thing? It's a God realm, right? He can he he's got the money, so he can do it. Like uh, Bill Gates, I guess he he's got the money, so he can do it. But you're so busily being embedded in that realm that you can't have the awareness of your own consciousness. Now, the key to awakening. The principal point to awakening is being aware of your own consciousness as it's operating in situ. doesn't say you've got to be good, you don't have to be nice, you don't have to be friendly, really. You just have to be aware of what's going on in consciousness while it's going on. And in order to do that, you've got to be in the human realm. Okay? Now, the human realm, as soon as you become aware of what's going on in your consciousness, your, your degrees of surety, your, your level of confidence that you know what's going on decreases. Like if I'm angry at you, right? You're wrong, I'm right. I'm fully convinced I'm right and you're wrong and I'm angry at you and you're bad and evil. I have no doubt about that state. I'm right, you're wrong. And therefore, my degree of consciousness about my own state while I'm projecting on you all the error and fault is, is low. And I actually am not in a position to observe my own consciousness in relationship to the object of consciousness, which in this case is anger and you, and therefore it's not possible to awaken from that. So I have to get out of that state first. I have to get out of these other five realms first, get back into the human realm where I'm consciously aware of the state I'm in and its concomitant factors in order to create the space I need in order to open into this so-called awakening, which leads us to uh, an auxiliary point, which is, what is awakening? Uh, that may be the best question of all. But you had a secondary question. What was that? What was the second part? And uh, should we almost uh, wish to have had the doubt desire? Yes. The... Well, I mean, you don't need to wish it because you've already got it. Okay. So what a human being tries to do throughout its life is, is distance itself, him or herself, from doubt and desire. They try to get away from that. It's not comfortable, is it? No. You don't feel comfortable in a state of doubt, and you don't feel comfortable in desiring something that you don't have. So let's take with the second one first. If you desire something you don't have, whether it's a college education, or a better job, or a new lover, or a better lover, or a bigger house, or whatever you're going to plug in to that equation. Your strategy is, well, if I go get the house, <laughs> if I go get the guy, if I go get the car, then I'm going to be happy. Hmm? Now, you've been around how many years? Fifty-one. Fifty-one. And you spent fifty-one years, I assume, like the rest of us, chasing after the carrot, chasing after that mechanical rabbit that the greyhounds chase around on that track. You know, of course, if the greyhound ever catches the mechanical rabbit, you can never get that greyhound to run again. He'll never do it again, unlike us. Mm -hmm. Because we chase the boyfriend, and we get one, and we, well, actually, it's not that the problem was in my view of the boyfriend, it was the wrong boy. And then we go to the second girlfriend, and the third girlfriend, and the fifth girlfriend, and we never, we never actually think that it might be our idea about or our view about what a relationship is that's in error. We always just assume, like my brother, <laughs> that his third wife was equally as screwed up as first two. 
It had nothing to do with him. I mean, really, he seriously believes it. It's that he just made a mistake and that all the fault was somehow theirs. So this this idea that you can, if you chase the object long enough and far enough, you'll eventually get it. And that when you get that object, you're going to be happy. Does that work for you? No. You wouldn't be here if it didn't. I mean, there are lots of people who think it has, but they don't come to these talks. They don't come to classes. They don't start thinking about awakening. Because they think if I get the house, I get the car, I get the job, then I'm going to be happy. But if they look around, they probably find we're not all that happy, in spite of all the stuff we've got. But then you go, well, they're not happy because they don't have enough stuff. And then you look at Bill Gates and Warren Buffett and uh, Buffy St. Marie, I don't know. Um, whoever's selling this house, Spelling, I guess. Somebody's Spelling, director. Aaron Spelling, thank you. It's like, then I'll be happy. But it, it doesn't seem to work that way. It doesn't seem that like stuff makes you happy. And, and if you extend it from stuff into emotional relationships, it, that doesn't seem to work either. And the reason emotional relationships tend not to work is for the re- same reason stuff doesn't work. In order for an uh, emotional relationship to be fulfilling in the same way that a house might be fulfilling is the object, the other person, has to pretty much act the way you want them to, how you want them to, when you want them to, as much as you want them to, forever and ever and ever all the time. And does this happen? So what do most people do? Most people make their peace. They make their peace with their discontent. Right? Um, lives of quiet desperation. Who quoted that? Most people live lives of quiet desperation. In other words, they go, well, that's this, that's life. There's nothing you can do about it. You're, you're going to have losses and gains, and and um, that's just the way it is. And so I'm just, I mean, I'm just going to go to the movie and catch Madonna and you know, go see. Britney Spears or whoever we go see and catch the movie, go out to eat, get a new car, <laughs> and we make our, our peace with that. But we don't really make our peace with it, do we? Not really. We fool ourselves into thinking we've made our peace with it. And we've made our peace with it because we, we figure there's no escape. Along comes someone like me or the Dalai Lama or, I don't know, whoever else you might know who does this kind of shtick. And uh, comes along and says, "Look, you don't have to be living lives of quiet desperation. It's not necessary. It's not built into the program. You were right about not getting the guy. And no matter how good a guy you get, he's never going to be good enough, right, ladies? Mm-hmm. And no matter how wonderful a woman you get, it's never going to. She's never going to be quite right enough, is she, guys? No. So you you know that part of the equation. You know that that's not going to be the case. But then you go, well, there's you got to live with that. That's just life." And the, the spiritual teachers are coming along and saying, that's not right. They say, the reason you're living a life of quiet desperation, or the reason you're making your peace with it, is because you're just fundamentally too lazy. You're just fundamentally too lazy to take it apart, to find out what the nature of consciousness is that puts you into that situation in the first place. That's the doubt part. So by being born into the human realm, which is, uh, as far as we know, the only realm, where consciousness is strong enough or elaborate enough or developed enough in order to be aware of its own process, which is the key to awakening. The key to the awakening 
is being able to be aware of your own state. Almost as if it's not your own. So for a long time, psychologists would call spiritual life as a kind of dissociation. Because we're asking you to step back from the storylines. We're asking you to step back from the objects of consciousness to examine the actual relationship you have with the arising objects, the arising states. And ask yourself one simple question. What is inherently unpleasant or uncomfortable or undesirable in this thing? And you're always going to find, from our point of view, you're always going to find that wherever suffering exists, there's a view. And the source of the suffering is in that view. And if you change that view, the suffering, uh, the actual suffering may not change. <laughs> Your husband may still be sleeping with the babysitter, right? But your your understanding of the being subject to that uh, attitude about what that should or should not be has changed. And therefore, now the suffering is not personal. It's no longer about you. But the thing is, is that because we are object, uh, what is it, what, uh, object conditioned people, human beings, and we're conditioned to physical objects like uh, pizza and beer, or we're conditioned to emotional objects like lover and wife, husband and uh, friend, and what that means. We have lots of views about that, don't we? What a, what a friend is or isn't, and how they're supposed to behave. And then we're also conditioned to mental views. Communism is bad, capitalism is good, or you know, whatever works or doesn't work for you. So what happens in the, in the spiritual teaching is you start to take apart the view. You start to take apart the object relationship. It's kind of a reductionism in a way. And in the process of doing that, you find a lot of the things that you're building your happiness on are doomed. Doomed to end. And of course, if they're doomed to end, then can they possibly create, well, for lack of a better word, everlasting peace? But we fool ourselves, we fool ourselves into thinking, oh, we can get everlasting peace with this thing. I can find true happiness or true contentment if just this was this like this. We hide our view, we hide our mind from understanding the true nature of objects which are, they are fundamentally unsatisfactory. And why are objects fundamentally unsatisfactory? Because they don't last. Because they don't last. So if I'm putting all my faith in that pizza, Eventually, you get to the end of the box and there's none left. So, what's your solution? Get more. Go get more pizza. And welcome to, <laughs> welcome to greed as a solution. So, the point is, is from the point of view of awakening, and this is a good intro for what I was going to talk about anyway, is what does it mean to awake? Does that take you where you want to go? Mm -hmm. What do you mean by the new age? It's kind of like a spiritual aspiration without work. I mean, look, if I'm a lawyer, i got to go to law school. I spend, I don't know, how many years? Five years in law school? First got to get a degree, then i got to get a law degree, then I, and that's like, I, what are we, eight years in university? Then I have to practice law like for 10 to 20 years to get any good at it. It takes 10 or 20 years to get good at anything. No? I mean, you take any career. You're not just good at it the day you start the career. To get really good at your career, right? It takes, if not a decade, two decades. And if not two decades, it takes a lifetime. 
I mean, you can't do an hour a day of yoga, you know, three or four days a week, and then call yourself a yoga teacher. And in my humble <laughs> or not so humble opinion, it's a career. You know, it's a dancer. You know, you can yeah. If it's a hobby and you want to take yoga as a hobby and you just do it for whatever, whatever, fine. Right, but the yoga teacher should be a professional. Now, to be a professional at anything takes 10 or 20 years to get good at it. And maybe 10, 20, 15, 20, 30 years. So now when you get to the new age, you know, you go do a weekend course on whatever, and then you're teaching it. <laughs> and you don't put any effort into it, and there's not a lot of work that goes into it. It's like an aside. That's what I call new age. It's not that the subject itself isn't valid. It's that it's kind of a hobby. Hobbies don't take you through to breakthrough. What takes you through to breakthrough are careers. So that brings me back to meditation again. Your number one meditation in life should be your job. And hopefully your job is your career. In other words, hopefully you're working at something that you love, and hopefully you're working at something that is challenging and interesting and causes you to stretch and reach and, and if you're working in such a field then you have a career that is a meditation if you're just punching a clock getting your check going home on Monday to Friday you are living a life of quiet desperation and the way you'll escape that is by having bread and circuses in other words you'll use your entertainments and your hobbies as a way to live rather than where you spend most of your time which is at your career so to me, new age is that. It's the idea that a hobby equals a depth involvement when in fact, in order to have breakthrough as a human being, your depth involvement either is, is going to come through your career or your career support of a in-depth study that takes you deeper and challenges you a little bit more and brings you to places that you don't normally go to. Now, yoga can do it in the beginning uh, if, you, if you're coming out as like Mr. Iron Man construction worker. At that point, one hour of yoga once a week for the first year, this is like transformative. Yeah? Mm -hmm. But it's not transformative in the second year. You know, now the construction guy goes, okay, hey, well, I'm going to do yoga twice a week, <laughs> two hours. No, right? And now the, the body starts to go through these transformations, the muscle mass, all this stuff that goes, you know, the release fundamentally. Remember, the word Islam means to let go, means to surrender. And yoga is basically about surrendering. The word means yoke, right? English word yoke, to join. So the idea of yoga is to join. But what are you joining in yoga? Well, in order to join two things, the first thing you have to do is know that they're separate. So what yoga does is separates first of all, the body from the mind, and says, look, these, you know, your mind and your body are these two different things, and they're not really working together very well. Now let's do some yoga, and kind of get them working, see how badly they're not working together, and slowly get into working together, until they're, and then you yoke them back together. For more information, please visit clearskycenter.org. That's C-L-E-A-R-S-K-Y-C-E-N-T-E-R dot -E -E org. Thank you.